Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bo. And this week, we're returning to the jibbing roots of first-person shooters with a look at Night Dive Studios' latest remastering Marvel, that being Quake 2. Originally released in 1997 from id Software, Quake 2 is the more narrative-focused sequel that ditches the gothic Lovecraftian vibes of the original in favor of a more sci-fi horror theme in which the player crash lands on the alien planet Strogos to fight the cybernetic aliens known as the Strog, an alien race who takes human corpses and combines them with alien technology to make hellish super soldiers. So not too long ago, Neil, I believe it was a year ago, we chatted about Night Dive's remastering of the original Quake, mm. and that was uh, very eye-opening for me, be- not only being more of an introduction for me to Night Dive, but more importantly to Quake, and getting to kind of dabble in one of the sort of uh, grandfathers of first-person shooters, if you will. And, you know, it also revealed to me that, you know, Night Dive is a studio that really has been doing for quite some time, something that you and I have championed a lot on this show, which is Mm. not only the preservation of games, but at the same time, they're taking it a step further. They're not just making classic games run, you know, more than well on uh, current consoles and current gen uh, operating systems and whatnot, but they're actually taking it a step further and producing new content for some of these games in certain cases. And at the same time, they are focusing on, you know, remastering the visuals. But they are really doing the thing that you would always want a developer to do, which is making graphics more HD, making the resolution better, but not to the degree that it fundamentally sort of alters the perception of what these games were when they first came out. And that's a big distinction, I think. And sometimes uh, we've definitely seen it more with the case with something like a remake rather than a remaster where they decide to change the artistic style of some element of a game. And all of a sudden you're like, well, you just took all the personality (laughs) that made this specific game unique out of the product, or in some cases, even worse to a degree, uh, fundamentally altering the gameplay. And, you know, so far I haven't played all of uh, Night Dive's remasters, but, you know, I've dabbled in the Turok remasters, of course, System Shock remasters, and even, you know, the System Shock remake And now we're here to chat about Quake 2. And, you know, with Night Dive, it's really an interesting point, I think, in where they're at as a studio. Because as we saw with the um, System Shock remake, you know, now we're getting to the point where they're doing both. They're not only resurrecting some games in certain points, because, you know, they did the System Shock 2 remaster before they did the System Shock remake. And that game was basically, uh, you know, unplayable for a number of years because the rights were caught up in, um, I think an insurance company had bought the rights to the game when the studio originally closed and it was just kind of dormant because they were like, well, you're either going to pay this price or we're just going to hold on to it because why not? And, you know, Night Dive really resurrecting that game and making it playable for the masses and, you know, re sort of invigorating the System Shock name potentially for a whole new Mm. audience of gamers and whatnot which I can only imagine had something to do with convincing people, oh, this is the time to remake System Shock. So we're in a similar sort of place with Quake now in that the Quake brand has not really had a new game in quite some time or a game that wasn't multiplayer focused, right? It's been this kind of uh, ping-ponging between directions for Quake where it's been, Mm -hmm. you know, started as single player focused with multiplayer, but then more multiplayer focused with like Team Arena. And then you get something like Enemy Territory, Quake Wars. And, you know, it's the type of thing that I hope in remastering the first two games. I'm sure we're going to get a Quake 3 remaster at some point. But, you know, as much fun as it is to play these classic games with the, you know, visual upticks that we see with sometimes producing new content, it's just revigorating the brand in general, which makes me excited for the future, despite the fact that, you know, we're going, uh, taking a step back in time almost to play these games. Yeah, it's something else what Night Dive do in terms of, like, um, the attention to detail, the extras. It's like, it's kind of the ultimate thing you'd like most media remasters to be, in that it it's not only faithful to what it was, whilst looking better, running better, adding bits that never got to make the cut originally. So, you know, 
this is also kind of like a director's cut because there's stuff that was never there before. Like the AI system is complete. They had to ditch in the original game because of time and limitations and stuff. It just said, oh, yeah, we could put that back in like that. And so as such, the game plays differently with that. But there's all these like micro options to sort of change it to make it more like it was, more like or more comfortable for now. And it's just phenomenal. And with each game they've done like that, it has been quite remarkable to to see how they've learned and keep going don't just keep doing the same formula same formula to keep it like that and i'll say it again it's a shame that you know they are under that atari banner now because i, I worry that we'll never get to see them do anything like this in the future again and yeah i, I agree with you if, if we're going to get a new one i'd imagine they would help i mean it's next game that they're hiring for is a first person game so could be you know that these they've done these remasters and it feels almost like a purpose sort of point in that you know so maybe maybe then night dive would be great for helping with that sort of stuff but you know i think it's just a collective team effort because as much we can say like night dive it's great them it's you know bethesda allowing all this and giving everything to them to do it you know really to you know microsoft obviously have yeah, the money to just say, yeah, go for it, fine, like that. And, you know, Machine Games, you know, under this, another Bethesda studio helping out and doing these brand new bits for old games and making them feel seamless, like they did with the last time with uh, Quake. It's just everything you could wish for. It's like you get the game you played back in the day better, as you remembered it still, but fundamentally better in every way. And you get new stuff. It doesn't feel like, yeah. It doesn't feel like someone came in halfway through filming and changed director. You know, it does just evoke the spirit of what came before perfectly. So yeah, I hope that you know Night Dive get to dabble in Quake Three and maybe even Quake Four, just to <laughs> complete the set really. But yeah, it seems unlikely at this point that they'll end up having that. Well, I think that in, that you bring up an important point, and that's the seamlessness with which the alterations and the additions are incorporated into Quake 2, mm. right? So if you want, you can uh, unselect basically the remastered visuals, the improved or included, you know, gore and whatnot, or some of the AI stuff. But at the same time, I would venture um, that even if you were a massive fan of the original Quake 2 you put on those new alterations that have been included, you're going to stick with them right? Yeah. more than likely because, again, it is the best way to play this game from a visual standpoint, but also just from a gameplay standpoint, I would imagine. Because, you know, I had played the first few levels of Quake 2 back in the day, but it was just one of those things I didn't make it all the way through or spend a great deal of time with. And, you know, from what I remember of it, it was not nearly as fast-paced as I found Quake 2 to be this time mm. around. And that's not to say like, oh, it's been sped up a lot more, but it just, it feels more in line with Quake that I was always a fan of, which was, you know, something like Unreal, or sorry, Quake uh, 3, yeah. Team Arena or something along those lines. And, you know, the same goes for the, the expansion packs. And it's worth noting that Quake 2 comes with, of course, the original game, the two original expansions, and then the all new expansion called The Machine. It also includes local and cross-play multiplayer and it also includes the N64 version of Quake 2, which is drastically different, yeah. which I want to talk about a little bit uh, later on. But, you know, again, the amount of content that's given in these remasters has been incredibly impressive. And to the same degree, you know, the new content doesn't feel alien to the original experience, no. right? Um, it's the type of thing that you really love to see. And it almost feels like, oh, this is made by modders. Because when you think about modders, like who knows the game better than them next to the programmers type of thing. And, you know, to see a studio that approaches new content and not feel the need to like basically redo the entire experience or sort of one up the original experience. It's just more of what worked so well with Quake 2. Mm -hmm. And, you know, perhaps there are some design elements there that, uh, go over our heads uh, in terms of, you know, modernizing it. But it really does feel like just a seamless continuation of what makes Quake 2 uh, so phenomenal all these years later. And to get a version of it that feels like the best version 
of the game possible. Um, and, you know, a lot of that, I think, is shown in the original games, um, you know, more cinematic nature, which is the biggest, most prevalent, I would say, uh, change from the original Quake is that yeah. it's much more story focused. It's much more cinematic in the fact that it has cinematics uh, to tell its narrative and whatnot. And, you know, right from the outset, I found that to be very impressive and a level of confidence that you would want to see in developers who, you know, they made this game, uh, the original back in the day. And, you know, while we both uh, really enjoyed the original Quake and whatnot, um, I wouldn't say that that game really scratched a narrative itch for me, no. or maybe it was just, you know, the overall uh, sort of vagueness with which that gothic uh, Lovecraftian world is made. But at the same time, I wanted a little bit more. And I found with Quake 2 right from the jump, you know, the little details about the world and just the presentation overall. You know, you get that map that then gives you little animations for each of the sections that you're going to be exploring next. And you can even like backtrack to go complete objectives that you missed or couldn't completely complete the first time around because of something you had to do later on. And it's the type of thing where it doesn't feel like it's compromising on the vision of the original or it's not being distracted in the more cinematic narrative nature. Um, because then once you get into a mission, you know, that Quake gameplay just feels tighter. It feels faster. It feels more uh, chaotic at times in the best way possible. Um, but for you, you know, you've been a fan of the Quake series for a long time. Um, you know, in terms of the jump from Quake to Quake 2, what are the features or elements that really stand out the most to you? Well, yeah, I mean, the cybernetic body horror nature of it is like, really cool mm. uh, you know i was it that was the bit i connected more with with this game just yeah. that and the struggles an enemy are yeah you know, the more consistent type now throughout the series it, it, you know, as it goes so yeah i like that um i think the game at the time got a lot of flack in terms of the campaign because it was kind of like the middle ground between you know if you, the way games were moving so fast in those few years between like doom well actually from wolfenstein to doom to mm. quake to quake 2 and you know a year after that half-life comes out you know, and like that and you think of how different they are and how much evolution happens in that time between those games it's extraordinary and i think the big thing that this game caught flat for was it was in that middle section where it had a bit of story to it but it wasn't quite enough you know it had you know branching you know, levels that branched out and you could work your way around and back and forth in a way that wasn't in earlier id games but it wasn't it, yeah it was new so it felt a bit odd it's very much like you know, trying to adapt first person shooters to consoles at the time where it was um difficult to say the least you know N64 had its own style you know which is I think why you know, that version ended up being so different but, you know, this game went to PS1, you know, and had a lot of the same things. And it, it didn't play anything like a, a first-person shooter on consoles that we would know now. But, Christ, if I didn't enjoy it on there as much as I did, you know, on PC. I, I loved both versions so much. So, yeah, it there's a lot about it that is different to the first game. You know, like, the first game almost feels like a mood. You know, like, it says you're just making your way through just causing chaos it feels very much like a game of its time but it's good you know in the same way that doom was good and you go back to that game and it has something about it that just works on a fundamental level um but for quake 2 it, it's just so extraordinarily different compared to anything else in the series i think yeah you know, i think four sort of goes back to it a bit you know, and really just goes to an era where storytelling is more prevalent in first-person games. But here, yeah, I always root for the plucky second you know, entry in a series that doesn't you know, get the credit it deserves for pushing you know, the genre and the series further through being divisive you know, as it is. And you know, I think that will always be this game's quality is it's it was a great game in so many ways it made sacrifices that were not always good for people who you know, grew up on the other first person shooters we'd had 
up to that point. But it's just it's just a remarkable piece of technology and achievement for then. And now it this version just feels like it, the version it was always meant to be. You know, like it's getting a second shot. And while the hype isn't there as much as it was for the first one, I think it should be told that you know this version of Quake 2 just makes it so much better, so much easier to use, and really makes all those other parts shine, you know, because of everything they've added and changed. And yeah, it, it's just such a, a shift from that first game. And I think it was supposed to be a different game at one point. So that that's probably understandable. And, you know, back then, that's, yeah, we've seen that a load of times within that when you've got like a Doomed or a Hexened or whatever, you know, all these games are, you know, very like <laughs> half a millimeter from being in one franchise or another. Um, mm. You know, Capcom notoriously did that in the 90s and early 2000s, where, you know, oh, this is a Resident Evil game till it isn't. And then a whole other franchise is <laughs> born off it. Yeah, that, that's the sort of thing that would happen because templates were what they were. So, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed the fact that this was so different from Quake, you know, which was such a, you know, we described it like, you know, on that episode about you know, why Quake was so important and how the series, you know, is so important and how it evolves from entry to entry. You know, and it it's almost unfair to treat them as just games, you know, like that, or a game series. And they all feel like benchmarks, especially those first three. Of like where gaming was going, you know, like that, you know, and that that multiplayer thing just smooths even more into what it is the further they go, and it's um really natural evolution. Yeah, and you know, in thinking about the direction with the first Quake and changing from that, you know, going in the route of sci-fi horror, like we mentioned with the Strog. It makes sense when you look back at the original Quake, why that was so vague, because the narrative was not the focal point of it. And that matches that style of world, right? We've, you and I have talked plenty about, you know, films that very much operate in the sort of Cthulhu side of things or something along those lines that are very much about vibes, like the void and everything. Um, Whereas with something like this, that's going to make that shift into a different, uh, you know, subgenre. You need to have more of a straightforward narrative, but you know, if anything, I found that it was the right balance of narrative and gameplay to the degree that there's more of it in Quake Two. Yeah. It's more prevalent, but it is not to a detriment of the true star of the the experience, which is the gameplay, right. which, as we've said now, is you know the most refined version of that until this point. Um, but I do need to gush a little bit about the monsters because I'm writing about it for uh, this week's column over at Dread XP about the uh, <laughs> the Strog because this is single-handedly one of the aspects that I was not expecting to be as, um, I suppose, reinvigorated because I, you know, of course, the first time I played it, I loved the monsters in it. But it really speaks to the importance of these remasters from a graphical side of things, because you can appreciate the monster designs and the animations so much more this time around because of the, you know, the nature of a better resolution Mm. to experience these things with which, but you know, the types of monsters, the variety of monsters, the body horror centric nature of them, which, you know, we are both uh, huge fans of is really just like hitting the sweet spot for sci-fi horror for me. Um, The fact that, you might assume like, oh, there's probably like three or four types of monsters Mm. and then they have different sort of uh, constructions of, you know, whether it's uh, this weapon or that weapon. But, you know, it really does start fairly tame where you just kind of have the normal guards and then it gets into full-blown cybernetic monstrosities in a way that has so much creativity but still has some of that influence of the unknown from the original Quake. I mean, you, of course, have probably the most... um, I suppose, iconic monster from the Quake series, which is that mutant, yes. right? That makes a return. And I'm reading like one of the original press briefings for the game and they were like, they basically just included it because it's a fan favorite. Yeah. There's no real reason for it other than that, which <laughs> I love their like just straightforward and upfront with that. Yeah. But then like you look at some of these monsters and some of them, it's kind of like the cybernetic husk. It's called brains. It's a cybernetic husk that then has these like the thing type tentacles Mm. that sprout out of them. But what I love about that design is that from an aesthetic standpoint, 
yeah, it's creepy, it's gross, it's squishy. But then from a gameplay standpoint, it has an ability where it has a shield yeah. that comes up. So you can't kill them from the front. It's very difficult. So you have to, you know, then utilize grenades or sneak around them. And that's a level of complexity to enemies that I don't think was as prevalent then as it is now, where it's like, I'm thinking about a Wolfenstein, yeah. right? There's not a great deal of strategy in killing those enemies, right? They might look different. They might have different weapons. They might have different uh, toughnesses. But at the end of the day, you're strafing around corners the same as if you're fighting, you know, Mecha Hitler or if it's just a dog kind of yeah. thing. And that is the element of Quake that I think I am appreciative of even more so now in getting to play Quake 2 in that, you know, I'm starting to pick up on both visual cues of enemy designs and what to anticipate in their attacks, but also, you know, the sounds that they make. And I think that that's really important, too, because you start to memorize not only what the enemies are saying, but also the sounds of their weapons. So you very quickly, because, you know, it's going to be uh, to the detriment of your current run if you don't, you quickly pick up on, you know, the sounds a grenade makes, the sounds that a Gauss cannon makes, or the sounds that uh, a rocket launcher makes just because yeah. of the fact of the deadliness of them. And then you start to incorporate different amounts of strategy and taking those enemies out. Which leads me to probably the most notable difference between Quake and Quake 2. And it's mostly, I would assume, uh, a technology you know, advancement between them. And that's much bigger environments, mm. right, for that chaos to play out within. And there's a verticality to them, too, that was not really there in the original Quake because to the degree that it is in Quake 2. Um, there's a lot of environments that are not only bigger, but they have subsections to them mm. where enemies are. That then you can you know fall down to, but that doesn't always mean game over no. unless it's you know a lava pit, which then you get a funny message in the <laughs> corner that basically says, uh, like for me it would say Jade backflipped into a lava pool and <laughs> an untimely demise or something, which happened a few uh, a few amount of times. But more importantly, again, you know when you're talking about not only improved enemy AI or improved combat scenarios, it's really you know the environments that facilitate that have also taken this leap between the first game oh, yeah. and the uh, sequel that just, it makes for such a massive improvement. And again, the, having a remaster to highlight those things in a new light uh, or in a, you know, higher resolution light is uh, really a fantastic thing. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, going to that, like the audio, when you're mentioning that, I mean, that's one of the things that got improved massively with this. and Like where you can literally tell where a footstep's coming from and like yeah, everything like that. It, it's amazing how again how night dive uses memory and of what something was you know when, when you didn't have the expectations of it being like we have now and, and you could always fill in the blanks yourself you know the, the famous thing we used to say about um pro evolution soccer as a game is like the reason it was always so satisfying it's those little gaps in the animation that make it work like that instead of you know, when you sort of compare the difference between that and like a more bespoke thing like FIFA, was you know FIFA's trying to do every single step of the animation and that bogs it down at the time. But right. Pez at its height was like you know they would cut a few frames out, and you don't really notice it when you're playing. But obviously, if you're watching footage, it's a bit different. But it it makes it flow better, and yeah, there's an element of that where it this still makes you feel those kind of things, those limitations and the tricks whilst sort of papering over them and giving you something that actually feels comfortable because, you know, the stark reality of going back to many games from 25 years ago is, uh, yeah, this doesn't work as well. This doesn't work as well like that. (laughs) Um, And, you know, while the Quake games are not exactly terrible for, you know, in that regard anyway, but Quake 2 was... You know, you know, a difficult child of the three in that original trilogy because it was the one that was like the bridging gap in so many ways. Like you say, the environments being bigger, you know, the the structuring of them, you know, the different elements that make it, you know, fundamentally a, a bigger step from than you'd expect, you know, for, for what it is. Um, and, you know, really setting the tone for what would be to come in terms of verticality in that series as well. Um, So it's a great thing to see that we have a game like this 
getting the recognition it deserves in that way. You know, I, I'm just, I looked through the sort of log of like changes for this game, like and things they've added. And it's like, if you didn't look at it and you'd played the game like 25 years ago, like I had, you'd be forgiven for thinking, oh, this is as good as I remember, you know, and all like that. And like, and for much of the game, that's that's very true. It does just feel like that. But then, you know, I was reading like a lot of people's experiences of back in the day and why they didn't like Quick Two, and saying, "Well, I like it now because they've done this and done that, like that." So it's great that it works on those two levels because of what Night Dove have done. You know, people who bounced off it maybe back in the day are getting to reappraise it for what it did right, and for people who really enjoyed it and loved it. It feels like nothing's ever changed. So it's great. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you bringing up animation—that was one of the other big things yeah. that um, I think allowed me to not only appreciate the advancements from the original, but also extra personality that's being given to basically every monster you encounter. And so, you know, the first time I shot a trooper and he fell over, and I assumed he's dead, and I just started running in the direction his corpse had just fallen. And then I see him sit up and start keep shooting yeah. at me. Like that was, Oh shit. Okay. So you need to not only placing more of an emphasis on, uh, on jibbing enemies, right. And just giving them a few extra blasts when you run by them yeah. just to be sure. But seeing that continue throughout a variety of monsters, but also to varying degrees, because then there's one that's called an enforcer, which is more of like a tank enemy that has a minigun for an arm. And if you get up close and personal and shoot him in the face enough, you know, his head will fall off and you're like, oh, okay, good. He's dead. And then, you know, with the head off, he still starts blind firing for a couple of seconds, which, you know, I was surprised at how much more difficult I was finding Quake 2 to be compared to the original mm -hmm. game. Granted, I, I played both of them on normal, but I think that the more complex animations and just side to the enemies and the variety, you know, there's a lot more of uh, both ranged and melee, but also, you know, flying enemies and whatnot. There's a lot more different approaches to combat that when they all hit you at once can make for something that doesn't necessarily like reinvent the staples of quake. It just ratchets up the intensity of all of them yeah. in a way that feels very natural. It feels like real growth, I think yeah. in terms of design rather than some kind of forced artificial difficulty where all of a sudden all the enemies hit 10 times harder. It's no, it's that you have, you're contending with multiple styles of attack yeah. at a given moment, um, which I thought considering I had played more of the original than the sequel. I was kind of anticipating just more of the same in that regard. Mm. It was a really nice sort of added bonus to be thrown something that felt like more of a challenge, even at the normal difficulty. Yeah, and it makes sense for the story they're telling. You know, these are cybernetic, unfeeling organisms now. Like that, so yeah, it makes sense they'll just keep coming and keep coming. It's that, that Terminator vibe of just like, yeah, you yeah. tore them in half, you've taken their head off, doesn't matter, that sort of thing. That they'll keep going. And yeah, that that's also feeds into the horror of it a bit, you know, just to be made like that. And yeah, I, I must say, it's a real challenge. Yeah, it was always a challenge then. And I think that, again, was a big sticking point for many people back then. It was that, you know, compared to everything else before that, everything was very, you know, enemies do this, enemies do that. Like, even the verticality that was in the first Quake, you know, by making you know, what was like the usual shooter experience more you know, open, more 3D than it ever been. Um, it was that you had verticality, but it was very sort of rudimentary. You know, here, it's like this whole thing where they've elevated the idea of that verticality, not just in level design, but in enemies and how they react and move around that. And especially in the flying enemies where it's like, it's easy to take it for granted in the modern era where, you know, if you've played plenty of shooters in the last 15, 20 years, you know, obviously it doesn't seem like that much of a, a big deal. But at the time, you know, that, that was just like intimidating in a way that is just hard to describe. And again, one of those things where you came into it like three, four years later with the third game, and suddenly everything's changed so much that, you know, a game that is basically all about verticality and shooting in the fucking air, you know, and doing all this stuff like that. It, it <laughs> yeah. was the norm all of a sudden and it was great. But yeah, this 
just did it in a way you know before its time, if you will. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. We'll chat a little bit more about Quake 2's gameplay and we'll chat about some of those additional features that are included here because um, there are quite a few of them and some of them are much different um, than the base version of Quake 2. So that'll be fun to chat about that, which was a first time experience for me as well. But more on that in a moment. And we are back from our break and for... Quake 2's added features, um, you know, as I mentioned, this includes the two original expansion packs. You have the brand new expansion pack, which, as we mentioned earlier, feels very seamless in terms of continuing the Quake 2 experience, capitalizing on what made that, you know, uh, I think a pretty remarkable sequel in that regard, going the jump from one to two. But more importantly, does not fundamentally rewrite the experience with more modern sensibilities. If anything, though, I will. I was going to say, though, I will get into it later why, you know, it is also showing, you know, a modern edge on that, you know, because it does things that they could not do back then as well. But we'll get into that. Sorry, I just quite remember that. <laughs> mention it. No, it's fine. No, let's let's jump right into that then. But I think the thing we take away from it straight away is it's, you know, designed with modern sensibilities whilst keeping, you know, what was Quake 2. I think the best way I've seen it described is you remember how many enemies used to go on screen in like Doom and stuff like that and compared to then Quake kind of scales that back a bit because you know it's all polygons and it's very difficult to sort of make all that work and with what Machine Games has done is basically make Quake feel like a Wolfenstein slash Doom game you know and you know where you have sheer numbers and like the environments are like you know they were big anyway in the main game of this but you know they have some really impressive levels in terms of like scope and size and the look at them and it almost feels like a sequel that we never got mm. you know like that or, or like an expansion pack uh, proper like it goes back into what we were saying earlier about the you know this feeling like a natural continuation but at the same time this is like the most striking difference i think in the whole package in terms of just how much more it does you know it's like if the n64 version is like you know like this lost alternate version of the game this is very much like the back then would have been like oh we want to make a quick sequel Here you get that let's make one and now we've got more technology mm -hmm. and there it is and yeah i, I had so much fun because i played so much of this game anyway and all the other things many years ago and that's fine, but I really wanted to see what Machine Games did with this because they did some great stuff for the first game as well. And yeah, it was just, you know, I agree with the, the sentiment I'd seen around, you know, like it's almost worth the price on its own, you know, for what is like eight quid, mm. this whole thing. I, I would have paid eight quid for that on its own because it, it is just like a whole, whole new experience like that was feeling intimately familiar. Yeah, and... Yeah, more so than anything that Machine Games have done for the original game, which all felt like natural expansion packs, if you will. You know, but this does just feel like a... Nah, let, let's see if we can just utilise everything that was in this game with modern tech and make it sing like that. It, it's just... I mean, and the level design in it is just sublime. You know, it feels like some of the best stuff. You know, like you'd be mistaken for thinking it was id. You know, and mm. I think Machine Games, considering you know their history as like Quake you know, modders, map makers and things like that, before they made stuff like Wolfenstein, it, it's crazy, you know? And it, it just makes me really invested in whatever they do because, you know, seeing everything they've done with like Wolfenstein was great. You know, and the Indiana Jones game would be like, very interesting to see what they do with that being a very different type of game but this was yeah i one of the highlight the nice surprises of the year without a doubt to get to play something new of quake alongside something that i was very familiar with well i mean talk that's probably the best compliment you could give them is that it feels like this was designed by id um, you know, considering that, uh, you know, Machine Games is made up of a lot of modders and things like that. But um, ultimately, 
that is the mo- one of the most exciting things that I see Night Dive doing periodically, but you don't see a lot of other companies doing that when they're remastering these games, right? And I think that the fact that you could include content that feels like it's not completely betraying the vision of the original game while expanding on it in ways that was never viable based on technological yeah. limitations and things like that when they were actually released um, is a really sort of magical side to remasters that we don't talk about a great deal, maybe because there aren't that many examples of it being done mm-hmm. as well as what's being done here um, is. And so, you know, while at the same time, it's great to have those previous released expansions, you know, in one convenient place to just the natural continuation from the base Quake 2 to those. Um, really, I think for people that are fans of the original Quake or Quake 2, right, it's like, okay, maybe I'll go back and I'll experience the new visuals a little bit. But even if they maybe are not as invested in replaying a game that they've played countless times, to your point, there's this new content that's added that is almost worth the price of admission for the entire package on its own. Yeah. Um, which I think is another aspect of remasters, or perhaps that'll be the next phase that we see that maybe becomes a little more commonplace in that, you know, remasters have this um, kind of, I suppose, sometimes online people say things or or that oversimplify them in the sense that they say, it's just prettier visuals or something like that. But clearly something like this is such a labor of love that that couldn't be further from the truth. Mm. So, um, you know, if other companies perhaps started to go down this route and follow that night dive sort of uh, blueprint that they've been laying out the last few years, that could make for a whole new wave of remasters that are doing something similar to this and expanding on that legacy in ways that maybe feel somewhat familiar, but are again, to a scale that was not really possible. Um, Of course, that's going to be entirely reliant on having as strong of a team of developers that are as familiar with that source material uh, clearly as machine games are. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, one of the things I'd like in, in terms of doing this sort of job is you know, Bluepoint, who, who obviously are now owned by Sony, you know, they did uh, great sort of port work and uh, like first stuff like uh, the Metal Gear Solid games, you know, 2 and 3, and uh, Peace Walker getting ported to consoles higher up and you know they remade Shadow of the Colossus, and it, that was a really good remake of that. And then there was the Demon Souls remake for PS Five, which you know technically wonderful, but you know, because they've been very faithful to what was there before, it, it wasn't there wasn't enough change in what they did beyond that to make it feel like a worthwhile thing. Yeah, but they're the two that really stick out. You know, in terms of like they've done good work. They feel like. We feel like we've been robbed of both of them now, you know, in terms of like Sony are going to utilize Bluepoint to make a game that is graphics, 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 and uh, you know, if they're going to remake anything, that's what it'll be a bit be about first before it is anything else. And you know, as I said, with Night Dive going to Atari, it's like I just don't know unless Microsoft are willing to have that relationship exist beyond that. I mean, it would have been a no-brainer for Microsoft to snap up. Yeah, Night Dive as part of that, you know, and you know, pull them in with Bethesda. But mm-hmm. you know, it's one of the more baffling things to me. Maybe they didn't want that, but you know, either of them. But still, to me, that would have made like the most sense for Night Dive to be yeah. able to do stuff like that. Well, imagine Night Dive and uh, Machine Games getting to make a new Quake game, something yeah. along those lines. I mean, you know, you can take a lot of the identity of one, two, and four. Yeah. And take that as the framework and then craft that into this whole new experience of Quake for, you know, and partially an audience that is uh, very familiar with the series. And then a whole audience that is just into first person shooters or just into horror games or just into action games or something. And, you know, there's so much potential there. So, yeah, that is definitely one of the more, I suppose, mystifying moves on their part. (laughs) Um, as of late, but one one of the inclusions in this remaster that I wanted to mention um, again is the N sixty four version of Quake two um, is included, and I, the only reason I'm bringing that up is because that was such a time capsule for me in seeing how some games were ported to console back in the mm-hmm. day. Because you know nowadays when you say port or something along those lines, it's more or less the same game just on. A different console but like back in the day there was this bridge between you know actually porting a game to a console 
in its original state from PC or going in another direction where, you know, due to, you know, the limitations of going from PC to console, obviously, but seeing a game that is fundamentally similar in its mechanics, but the missions are different, the level designs are different, the placement of certain things are different, which really was this time capsule back to, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, where that was quite common, actually, because when I sat down and, you know, played the first four levels or something of the N64 version of Quake yeah. 2, I was kind of blown away in how it was kind of re- reinvigorating my interest in Quake 2 after playing the base game all week because of the fact that it was a remixing of elements that you'd seen previously that give you an experience that is similar, but also very different in a mm. lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was a fairly new experience, the N64 version I played briefly. I think um, someone who owned an N64 at the time, one of the games would have to play on one day, and it was only multiplayer, so I didn't get to see any of the other stuff. But yeah, so that was fun for as well, to sort of have these extra bits, in much the same way Doom 64 was. You know, it was interesting to sort of have something extra. And again, you know, we just talked about the machine games levels and you know, how that's nice to add but this really is just like you know of the time feels like of the time but fundamentally different in a good way that there yeah, it's very it just does the job you know in a way that's interesting i was um playing through it and yeah just feels like almost like another expansion alternate slash alternate version of what we could have got and yeah, I, I was saying before, like it's, it's remarkable this game got ported to all sorts. You know, it was on the PS One. You know, that's a version like I said I, I was very much into as well. You know, even though it wasn't you know, technically as uh, up to speed, it was um, great for like multi-tap sessions. You know, with my brothers and like that. And I played in terms of multiplayer. You know, that's just one of the most uh, I played a game in multiplayer on that console back then so yeah this version i think that visual style you know the n64 has as well kind of adds to it it's just slightly you know it's clear when you've got an n64 game on your hands you know and when it's done right it's like it's good like that and i think it's a really admirable you know attempt to take the game to that console but then go, you know what, well, can't do this, this, and this, so we'll do it like this and have yeah. like a whole reworking. You just couldn't imagine that, you know, now. No. You know, mainly because, you know, games are very much more complicated and it would, mm-hmm. to, to go and make an entirely different version almost of, of the same game would be madness <laughs> at that point. Um, but yeah, it, it, the options these days would very much be same game, Graphically, this is going to look like mud if you have it on something much lower. See, um, the, the whole Ferrari about um, Mortal Kombat one, you know, uh, we're having it a minute with the Switch version being available. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think this is a really fun sort of add-on to the package. I find. Yeah, and I thought it was a really interesting look into. I suppose the expectations for console experiences at the time compared to PC experiences, because one of the biggest differences between the N64 version is the fact that you get these brief cinematics of a third person perspective of your character doing certain things, right? So, um, you know, when a mission ends, and that's also probably the most notable difference is that missions are much shorter. And they are broken down, like sections are broken down into like four or five very short missions that then, you know, basically uh, make up a planet that you're exploring. Yeah. And then you're jumping to another planet or another moon. Um, whereas in the PC version, of course, or the original version of Quake 2, the environments are much larger. And I'm surprised at the length of those missions yeah. as well. You know, talking about um, not only filling those larger environments with more objectives and sub-objectives, but the fact that you can, you know, backtrack to other missions to complete objectives that you didn't previously for various reasons. But, you know, in the console version, seeing that maybe that was a reaction, both due to limitations, but also expectations for console games. They need to be quick. They need to be snappy. 
you need to know lots about your character, or at least see your character, even if it's a first person perspective. Um, and I don't know, I thought that that was just an interesting time capsule in taking a look at how a game was taken and then manipulated basically perhaps to fit a console centric audience yeah. while also contending with, you know, the limitations of going from a PC to then an N64. Um, but at the same time, you know, playing it on Xbox now in the, you know, the remastered version and whatnot, as you said, it just felt like another expansion pack. And if anything, it felt like a nice sort of snappy expansion, I think, compared to the longer sections of the original Quake 2. Um, so it wasn't that I necessarily minded that the, there were these shorter, snappier levels. Um, it was just interesting to see the fact that, you know, certain games had to be amended for the console that they were being brought to. Um, but at the same time, still felt very in line with the original experience, but maybe to somewhat of a truncated degree. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's fine in that sense. Uh, so it makes sense with that context. You know, that you've got this experience that isn't quite the same, but you can tell that it is utilizing the technology as a hand. And yeah, you know, it, it's always one of the fun things of that era when you would get demakes effectively of games by going down a con- you know from the difference between PC and consoles was like Goliath in a way that it isn't now. You know. As much as people may scoff at that idea, it's true. Yeah, you know, like beyond small detail, really, you know, consoles can end up doing a lot of the same things, and just without any real difference to how it plays. You know, it's just how it looks now. That, that's really all it's about. Um, yeah, so that, that's fine. I mean, even the soundtrack was different for that game, which was quite cool. Mm-hmm. Which is, um, though, I will have to say that. This was, you know, in the main game, you know, the second game in a row where they're like, let's get someone metal in for the soundtrack. You know, like it got obviously Trent Reznor in for the first one and Rob Zombie did part of the soundtrack for Quake 2 as well. So it's like, it's a shame they didn't keep that tradition going like that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It almost feels like um, really? Mick Gordon doing like the Doom ones was like this homage, if you will, to that sort of era of stuff so that we could have had that. So yeah, actually, what's the. What's the game with all the metal songs on it? Metal Helsinger, has it? There you go. Okay, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. that again is like, that almost feels like a, a throwback to that sort of thing. So, yeah, there's lovely little differences in, in a fun way. I, I, like I said, something you're just not going to get anymore because the time and resources would just be too much at that point. But this was yeah, the engine in general for the main game was just used for everything as well. At the era, you know, as much as you know, everyone cites like the Source engine coming later and like the earlier Quake engine, you know, this, yeah, you, know, you had stuff, anything from Soldier of Fortune to stuff like infamously Daikatana. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I, you know, and I think I read something about like Half Life before it went to Source, basically used a version of this, you know, in its early development. So, you know, it's. It's got a lot to this game under the surface that is um, adaptable and changing, working on different systems. And I really like that era, you know, in terms of technology, just because of how quickly things move and how adaptable things could be and how quick you have to move to make that happen. You know, it's either you do it or it doesn't happen in a lot of cases, because by the time you haven't bothered to figure it out, three years have passed and you've wasted your time, really, because what's going to work yeah it, it's got so many good little moments in having these different contrasting things you know the main game the expansions the n64 version and obviously the new levels just all being that alongside all these great changes that they've added um but something we haven't talked about i know i don't know if you actually got around to doing it yourself is you know something that i already mentioned was really good for me back in the day with this was multiplayer like that now this game now supports like on xbox and pc at least you have up to eight players split screen <laughs> like just like yeah. nuts yeah. yeah um playstation 94 i think because of the way the technology works but yeah i got you know played a few rounds with my son like that just having some fun didn't try to get up there online and yeah it just came some of the maps just came flooding back. It's not like they were like super memorable. It's just I've done so many hours of them back in the day. Mm. And 
again, you just get to see that fascinating you know, bridging gap between the first game and, this, and the third one in terms of how it was building that compelling loot to become you know, what we know now as esports, you know, like that kind of mm-hmm. competitive shooter. And I can see all over again why I was really into it back then, you know, the simplicity of it, whilst you know, the verticality of it, the the weapons on display, you know, many of which carried over from the original game, but there's new stuff as well. And yeah, I just had a fun time. It's just it's a shame that there's not that many people really still, you know, um you're going to wait around. Let's put it that way. But it was nice, to, at least for a little while, to sort of get into it. Yeah, I played a couple of rounds with my uh, roommates. And, you know, while I didn't have the experience from back in the day of playing Quake 2 multiplayer, at the same time, it really did make for, you know, I did spend a lot of time with uh, Quake 3 yeah. back in the day. Um, granted, I didn't have internet for a long time, so I was just playing against bots. But it did harken back to a degree while not quite to the same arena style. Um, it did really make me miss the era where you had these shooters that had these full fledged campaigns. And then the multiplayer themselves was just as compelling. Yeah. And in some cases, you know, uh, beca- could become an addiction basically because of how well those maps were designed and how well the combat from single player translates to multiplayer, which is really something that I think, has never worked quite to the same degree in some of the modern iterations we've seen of these franchises. I mean, think about Quake 4, the multiplayer from what I remember playing was kind of bleh. It was kind of whatever. Same thing with Doom, you know, the 2016 Doom reboot, even with Doom Eternal, the multiplayer I didn't find to be nearly as satisfying or designed to the degree that, you know, it has that sort of infinite regress of, okay, one more match, one more match, one more match, because the maps themselves were designed so well around you know areas and environments that had natural choke points for combat little encounters to play out but at the same time having a map that had intricacies to it that only you know the hardest of the hardcore could really master or get a fundamental understanding of because of the amount of hours they would sink into it yeah Um, and i think that that's just been an issue perhaps with the demand for multiplayer these days versus the demand for single player and developers being fairly split on or not even split but more importantly having a primary developer on single player and then outsourcing multiplayer or perhaps in some cases maybe vice versa right so it feels like two separate experiences rather than one continuous experience moving on from single to multiplayer Um, and i think that that has been a challenge primarily with, you know, the franchises that I mentioned that they really used to be the staple, yeah. right? It was multiplayer for both of those. And I don't know that we've seen that outside of like Quake Online, which I don't even know if they still, that's still a thing anymore. But um, that was one of those things where when Quake Online came out and you could just play in your browser, oh my God, I must have sunk 300 hours into that over the summer when that was released because of the fact that it brought that all flooding back. And now, you know, you can just pick up and play. And um, yeah, it really did make me wish for a Quake that was more in line with what I remember. But then, you know, we've seen Quake Champions, yeah. right? That turned into like a Heroes-based game, which I didn't play a great deal of it. But at the same time, it doesn't feel in line with the Quake experience no. that I want. So when you think about the future of Quake moving forwards, I am really split because, you know, I want them to have a single player return that is more in line with the original two, but with some more modern conventions yeah. perhaps. But at the same time, I want that infinite regress of multiplayer where I could sink a hundred hours solely into the multiplayer. But again, you see studios that are being pulled in multiple directions on what they want to go with, what's going to, at the end of the day, make more money for them, probably something more multiplayer centric, but then is that going to be a detriment to the single player that's presented? So in a perfect world, we would get something along the lines of like the original Quake, where it had the single player campaign that was, you know, exciting, terrifying, engaging, but then a multiplayer that you could see playing for hundreds of hours. But these days, I feel that a lot of the time it's either a game excels at one or the mm. other. And it's a little rarer than what we saw in the 90s, where it's like, oh, you get the best, the best of both yeah. worlds, uh, unfortunately. I think the last sort of bastion of that in terms of doing it like the old days was Titanfall 2 which you know yes. it, it had a great campaign it had a great multiplayer and ironically 
Source engine, yeah. So yeah, it's, it has that sort of old school connection, and you know, even then, respawn. What they're doing now, Apex Legends, which is basically you know, doing more modern stuff, and you know, making single player games that don't have any multiplayer at all. So, yeah, for me, it would be like the biggest, easiest win for Apex Legends to have, basically what Titanfall Two multiplayer was. But I get it. It's just that. The game makes me very sad now because it was the first game in a while that really evoked this sort of style of multiplayer and uh, and really made me go, oh, wow, I'm into this and I'm good at it because I'm channeling into the ideas. I'm really liking what it's doing. It wasn't trying to be more than it was. It wasn't trying to be a live service game. It wasn't trying to you know, last forever. And, you know, unfortunately, that's why it's you know, died effectively. But still, it was just, magical and i don't as you're saying i I don't think any games really can do that very often on a bigger scale i think the smaller games do that you know they have multiplayer i think we talked about this with proteus did that you know it has um multiplayer and it's great and fun and all that but the audience is smaller so you, you have a smaller amount of people unless you're like really dedicated into making that work and you know and making that your game it's harder to sort of utilize yeah. and make but I'm sure as time goes by someone will take that crown you know I think indie spaces have been pretty much the forefront of making you know multiplayer better in recent I mean Cyanix did it you know with Rocket League they, they made a whole thing you know like they did like that. even like you know PUBG it was you know smaller than you know, epic games and having Fortnite, you know, someone is going to push something forward that is going to make bigger devs go, oh, actually, we could do this. And we've seen it with horror in general, haven't we? Where uh, the idea that it's like big companies are like, no, oh, we don't really think it's a seller. We don't really think it's necessary. So we're going to sort of verge more towards action with them and all this. And it wasn't until smaller developers pushed things to the forefront that those companies were like, oh, hang on. No, people want this. People like this, and we got that. And you know, shooters kind of need that. I think. And I think we're getting there. I think we're, again with the smaller spaces, the smaller companies. They're making. You know, there's loads of great boomer shooters out there, for instance. Mm-hmm. So it stands to reason that at some point there's going to be the next level of that, you know, where it's going to be something that's akin to the early 2000s of the PC era where you had your Quake Freeze and whatever and Unreal Tournaments and that would be something. I mean, I think I had Night Dive wanted to redo Unreal as well, yeah, which, Mm, yeah, that means getting Epic to agree, which is... uh, (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. they got their work cut out for them that way. Yeah, but, you know, that would just be amazing if that could happen because that would be, like, the next thing that needs to do. But, yeah. We digress. It, it, it's just one of those things. So it, it's just two old guys lamenting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all gloom and doom, but uh, it would be fantastic to see sort of a return to form, I suppose, yeah. in that regard, more often at least. Um, but as you mentioned, it's not as if, uh, you know, the indie space is not, you know, facilitating some of that mm. uh, with some of those boomer shooters, right? We've covered a number of them and whatnot um, that are bridging that gap. But it's hard not to, you know, go to the wishing well, if you will, with franchises yeah. uh, and series that are as beloved as something like a Quake or an Unreal or a Doom and whatnot. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, um, these remasters serve more purpose than just, you know, the preservation or having these new features or that. But it gets the conversation yeah. going again around and showing a support and a fandom and whatnot. And, you know, these days, the more politics that go into making games and whatnot with more studios and overlords and whatnot that are involved um that conversation just needs to get louder and louder and whatnot and seeing a remaster as a a success in that regard whether it is you know this massive financial success showing that fandom come around something like this or champion this and just the you know conversations and discussions that happen online surrounding them it shows that no there is a general interest in that kind of not that they're probably not always thinking like, oh, we could do this IP or that IP, but it kind of just further facilitates that there's a want and a need mm. for a revisit of certain things or a reboot. And, you know, Doom 2016 was a huge sort of uh, milestone in that regard, right? Of bringing that back into the forefront in a new way 
and it more or less being uh, widely accepted and getting a sequel. And, you know, now we're going down the rabbit hole of Quake and whatnot. And who knows? Could go down Unreal or uh, any other number of beloved PC titles from back in the day. Um, but next week, we're going to be switching things up from first-person shooters to that of celebrating the 15th anniversary of Silent Hill Homecoming. Mm. Uh, my quest to continually revisit uh, or visit games for the first time that I uh, had missed. But I am very excited to dive into what is one of the more, I suppose, up in the air uh, Silent Hill titles. You know, some people love it. Some people hate it. Uh, it being a little more action oriented is going to be interesting to maybe see another series or survival horror series be influenced by uh, Resident Evil's sort of tonal shifting and whatnot and seeing how that spreads to other beloved survival horror franchises i'm very excited to dive into but uh yeah as always neil it is a pleasure chatting horror with you for safe room okay my man until the next time thank you for listening to another episode of safe room if you enjoy the show please rate us on itunes and follow us on twitter at safe room pod for show updates as always our main episodes for safe room drop every monday but our bite-sized episodes of Horror Bites, our indie horror showcase, drop every Thursday. Follow Horror Bites on Twitter, at HorrorBites underscore SR. You can join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. And finally, send emails to saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we have or are going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.